everyone, and welcome to TNA's Policy Podcast, Sharing Knowledge, Empowering Nurses. I'm your host, Shala Ahmed Oyewuwo. Just a little bit about me. I'm a registered nurse out of Houston, Texas, a TNA member, and a fellow to ANA's American Nurses Advocacy Institute. So if you're joining us here for the first time or listening again, the purpose of the podcast series is, in very simple terms, to keep the conversation going on TNA's top legislative agenda items for the 2019 legislative session. If you attended Capitol Day, uh, or if you didn't, many of the issues that were discussed then will be discussed in our various podcast episodes. Each episode is basically going to flow in a pretty simple format. We'll introduce a topic, have a nurse who's knowledgeable on the policy issues speak on it towards the podcast, and hopefully have everyone leave with our listeners feeling more empowered, more knowledgeable, and more inspired on the topic. So today's episode is actually going to be about the Nursing Shortage Reduction Program. With me is Dr. Beth Mancini. Dr. Mancini is a professor, senior associate dean for education and innovation at the University of Texas at Arlington College of Nursing and Health Innovation, where she holds the Baylor Professorship for Healthcare Research. Prior to moving to an academic role in 2004, Dr. Mancini was Senior Vice President for Nursing Administration and Chief Nursing Officer at Parkland Health and Hospital System in Dallas, Texas, uh, which is actually a position that she held for about 18 years. Looking more into Dr. Mancini, she is internationally recognized for her groundbreaking work in high quality, high volume, accelerated online education, uh, particularly distance education. Her work in this area resulted in UTA's College of Nursing becoming the country's largest college of nursing and a public university and led to the College of Nursing receiving the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board's prestigious STAR Award in 2012. Dr. Mancini is an active volunteer with numerous professional organizations, and the Texas Nurses Association is one of them. Dr. Mancini is actually a current member of TNA's Education Committee, as well as the Policy Committee. So I can't think of any other guests to have uh, to talk on the Nursing Shortage Reduction Program other than Dr. Mancini. So Dr. Mancini, thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you, Sola. It's my pleasure to be with you today. So I don't want to waste any time. I want to dive right into the topic at hand here. When I took a, a moment to read about the Nursing Shortage Reduction Program, and I, I tried to break down what it meant to me. Um, and honestly, as a novice advocate, it really just sounds like a program that's intended to, well, reduce the nursing shortage um, by by increasing funding. But in your experience and in your own words as someone who is more familiar with this what what is the nursing shortage reduction program and uh, why does it why does it exist well the state of texas has been interested in this for quite a while and the nursing shortage reduction program actually started back in 2005 is when i became involved with it and it started with the intent to stimulate schools to expand capacity because there were a number of qualified applicants being turned away from nursing schools in the state of Texas 
at a time in which the uh, state needed more nurses. We know with the aging of the nursing population, with the aging of the general population, with the advance of more chronic as well as acute diseases, there's a need for more nurses, more nurses entering in the profession and more nurses in advanced practice roles. And recognizing that this uh, balance was not well considered at that point in time, the state decided that it needed to provide money to the schools in order to have them increase their capacity. And this was um, the end point of putting millions of dollars, uh, about $3 million initially uh, per year into a program that could be used to short, to decrease the nursing shortage by increasing capacity for the production of new registered nurses and uh, encouraging the development of more BSN prepared nurses and higher advanced practice nurses. Mm, Okay, so this has actually been going on since 2005? That is when the nursing shortage program started. Mm, Okay, got you. But is it it only nursing or is is it specifically nursing shortage reduction program or are other um, health professions included within that? No, this is specific to nursing. Wow. This uh, was really a wonderful opportunity where the stakeholders, including employers, including schools of nursing, including the Texas Association for Business, um, ever, lots of people, patients, advocates, AARP, uh, a lot of organizations came together and said, as a state, we needed to address this issue. We have to have an adequate supply of appropriately credentialed individuals to provide nursing care. Mm, okay, that makes sense. I even, I, I know on the, uh, the little blurb that they sent out for Capital Day uh, that they gave to representatives, there was a statistic there that they wrote that by 2030, Texas will be short about 60,000 nurses. And so who knows if that's playing a role, it may be playing a role with the, with the reduction program, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think it is. Uh, one of the things that TNA feels strongly is we have to provide our legislators and our general public data rather than just say we need something because we believe we need it. Our decisions need to be based on data. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the data that you're mentioning, the shortage uh, predicted in the future based on solid demographics is how we posit that this is an important thing to do and it's a necessary action to take. Mm, gotcha. I see, I see the educator in you coming out with the, uh, the evidence-based, evidence-based, you know, uh, data. Evidence-based decision-making. That's what we're about <laughs> as nurses. Yes, ma'am. So obviously the, 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 the program is a, a, an extremely great initiative. And uh, looking at TNA's stance, TNA fully supports uh, full funding of this shortage reduction program. Um, and, and they note that like right now, it seems like there's, I think I read there's not enough flexibility within the program. Um, I read something about, it says something about over 70, over 70. Do you know what that means? Yes, I can explain that. Okay. Um, when it was discussed how we were going to address the shortage, 
the state wants to ensure that the money that it spends as a prudent fiscal authority, they want to make sure that the money that it spends, achieve, that it gives to some organization um, or it invests to achieve a goal is going to get the results it desires. And so when it looked at schools of nursing, it, it recognized that in the state at the time, there was about 100 or 105 schools of nursing. Some of them were very capable of progressing from the time a student starts to a time that the student graduates, high percentages of those students. And some other schools were more challenged in that regard. So a student that started in that program did not necessarily mean that they were going to graduate. So the state decided that it would split its funding into two groups. Those who had over a 70% progression to graduation rate and those schools, they would give the money up front so that we actually received dollars uh, to enroll students in our initial uh, course in the nursing program. Oh, you're saying the state would give the money up front? Up front. So an over 70 school is one that progresses more than 70% of their students to graduation and over 70% of their students have first time NCLEX pass rates. Gotcha. Those that are under 70%, and there are some, they would get their money after the fact, after the student graduated. So the notion was that they wanted to make sure that the money was well spent. Now, that said, even if you received the money up front, if you did not enroll those students, um, you would have to give the state back the money. That's called a clawback. And so there's a significant amount of paperwork that goes on to make sure that the state tax dollars are well spent to achieve its goal. In this case, expand capacity in pre-licensure nursing programs and to encourage higher levels of education by giving additional money to student to uh, schools who produce more graduates in R and BSN programs or master's programs or doctorate programs. So the over or under 70% schools, those dollars are focused on expanding capacity. And then what they call the regular or traditional nursing shortage program is geared for all levels of nursing programs. And uh, those dollars are to advance the education. Mm, okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about over 70. When I tried to look at it, I had to go back and search, I think, of the original like documents to really understand between the two. So thank you for the, the further explanation. Did you mention anything about uh, thresholds? So I think within what, what TNA uh, is showing that we need is um, to eliminate the enrollment threshold targets for the over 70 program. So when the state, uh, when we first constructed these plans, um, there was a fixed growth formula put into the plan. And that was schools would commit, if they wanted to participate in this program, to grow 12% in the first year of a biennium and 18% in the second year of a biennium 
over a base year. Now, I know that sounds con somewhat confusing, but yeah. the intent was you had to grow a certain amount every year, and it uh, had to keep going. Okay. Um, what TNA is advocating for now, and the schools have found, is that sometimes you can't grow that much, particularly if you're a large program, asking somebody to grow year over year by 12% is a, a lot of growth to accommodate. Uh, so what the discussion is now in this legislative session is that schools could say how many students they wanted to grow. Mm. So what was the capacity increase? As opposed to being told it needed to be 12% in the first year of the biennium, 18% in the second year of the biennium. Mm, okay, so putting a little bit more power back into the hands of the school. Indeed, because if you don't grow, you have to give the money back. And so the money was sitting in an account not doing what you wanted to do because you couldn't grow as much as the state wanted you to grow. But there are other schools that actually grow more than 12% in a year. And so they, we want to make sure they're incentivized to grow as much as they can do. Because it's going to take every school in the state of Texas doing everything they can do to expand capacity uh, in the pre-licensure program. So getting people into the profession of nursing. If we are going to achieve those very daunting 20, 20, 20, 30 right. targets that you mentioned, to close that gap between what we need and what we have. That's a public policy issue. Right. We want to make sure that the public policy supports having an adequate supply of appropriately credentialed nursing professionals. So whether that's at entry level or whether that's an advanced practice. Mm. So it sounds too like then the nursing shortage isn't necessarily about people not wanting to become nurses. It's more making sure we can accommodate them. Uh, and have proper funding and make sure we're not overburdening, burdensoming. Wow, I can't get my words out. We're not overburdening the universities as well. Absolutely. So um, there was a study done several years ago in the state, and it was identified that 8,000 qualified applicants were turned away from nursing schools wow. at a, because there was not capacity mm. in this state. And so that's kind of a logical question to ask. Well, why would that be? Why, if we need more nurses, uh, and we do, then why do we have qualified people not being able to get into our programs? That's a process piece. How do we expand the capacity? Mm. With most process questions, the issue is about money. Do you have the money for the additional faculty? that it would take the additional supports that need to be put in place to have people be successful when they enter the nursing program? Are we able to recruit and retain them if we bring them into the nursing programs? These are qualified applicants we're talking about. Right. Um, then how are we gonna handle the clinical needs that we have? So money is a big, move, is a big uh, restraining factor, uh, but also there's the issue of access to an adequate supply of clinical practice sites. So we have to work on all of those things as well. And that's where working together between the schools of nursing and the clinical sites 
uh, is becoming increasingly important. It's always been important. A lot of time and effort is being put into that, but uh, that's an area that we still have to work on. Yeah, I think are you you're talking about the graduate nursing education um, in terms of facilities, right? No, I, I'm I'm referencing like hospitals ah. and long-term care facilities. As when you went through your nursing program, you did clinical rotations. Yes. So the more students you have, the more clinical sites you must have for the students to go and to uh, learn the skills True. and practice and develop their role. Uh, simulation is a big help in this regard. So we're doing more and more in simulation, but it, at the end of the day, you can do a lot of simulation, and we should. Um, but you need to go into the clinical environment in order to uh, become confident as well as competent in the care of clients and patients, families and communities. You can't do all of that in a simulation area. You have to eventually get out there under the supervision of your nursing faculty so that you can learn those skills. Right. Nothing like a real patient. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I want to pull back a little bit from um, the, the, the topic itself specifically and talk, I guess, a little bit more about your personal experiences with uh, funding programs like these. So if I may, what first sparked your interest in this issue of nursing shortage reduction programming and what, what first started your, your interest in this area. I know when I read your background, you have quite the uh, uh, vigor for education and advancing it, but you know, what kind of started it for you? Well, I spent, um, when I entered the profession as an associate degree nurse, I worked in medical surgical nursing, and then I became interested in critical care, went to work there, went on to get my bachelor's degree, um, went into management as a unit manager of a critical care unit and then an associate director of a number of critical care units, went on and got my master's degree to learn the skills necessary to do that well. Then I went on to become a um, director of emergency services and then ultimately the chief, a chief nursing officer, senior vice president. And received my doctorate in public policy and public administration. Wow. And for me, education is a lifelong commitment. Mm. As professional nurses, I believe we must all individually accept our personal responsibility for continuous life, self-directed lifelong learning. And if we're going to do that well, we need to make sure that we have education that is designed for us to do that. And that's a public policy decision. Do we fund our higher education and our health profession education such that they can be readily available for anyone who needs it, wherever they need it, whenever they need it, and that it's constantly changing so it is relevant in the work uh, experience? So I became passionate, have been, and continue to be passionate about education, but also passionate about policy because it is an issue of public importance. Right. So when I speak to nurses, I always wanna say that it is not for someone else to do this work. It is for us individually to do this work collectively, 
through professional organizations such as TNA. Okay. Then how does specifically now the, um, uh, the funding program, the nursing shortage funding program, how then does that fit into your, your daily practice today? I know that sounds more like a mute point because you are a professor, it makes sense, nursing shortage, reduction program, education, but in your own words, how do you feel like the importance of this issue fits directly into what it is that you do daily? Like you're, you're to me, it sounds like you're on the front lines. You're able to see the results of having this funding versus not, or fitting into the over versus the under 70. Exactly. Um, in my role as senior associate dean for education innovation here at, as you mentioned, the country's largest uh, school of nursing in a public institution, the nursing shortage reduction fund is something I think about every day. Why? Because with funding, we can do new and innovative things to expand our capacity, expand our ability to continuously educate uh, registered nurses. As an example, we moved into the accelerated online education space because nurses were telling us that's what they wanted to do. Uh, particularly working professional nurses who want to go on for additional education, um, they need to be able to do it when they can do it. If it's 2 a.m. in the morning or if it's on a Sunday, they need to be able to access education. So nursing shortage uh, reduction funds help to fund some of that innovation. Um, in terms of expanding capacity, when I came to the University of Texas at Arlington, we were, admit, we were admitting about 200 new, nurse, new students into our pre-licensure nursing program. So those who want to become registered nurses at the baccalaureate level, they were, we were admitting about 200 a year. Now we're admitting about 750 a year. Wow. Uh, so those, those dollars that the public has entrusted to us has achieved its mission. So uh, I'm passionate about it. I wake up in the morning thinking about it. I go to bed at night thinking <laughs> about it, is how we can expand our capacity to be more efficient, to be more effective, uh, to meet the needs of the citizens of Texas. Mm. Well, it sounds like part from, from a standpoint of where the university that you're at, you all are, are hitting the mark here in terms of utilizing the funds as best as you can. Indeed. Indeed, I, I, we're not the only one. Right. I think what is remarkable about the Nursing Shortage Reduction Fund is how it has achieved its goal. Mm. Schools across the state have, have used these dollars to do what they were intended to do, which is to grow and uh, expand capacity, expand education, uh, access to high quality higher education for nurses. And that's uh, exciting to see because Sometimes when you work in policy, um, you don't get what it is you want to achieve. You may get the funding, you may get the bill you need, uh, and you try to implement it and somehow it doesn't quite turn out the way you want it. Uh, we have been able to successfully increase the number of nursing graduates and in increase the number of nurses with a BSN degree in the state consistent with the Institute of Medicine uh, Future of Nursing report that set a target of wanting 80% of nurses educated at the BSN level by 2020. 
the state of Texas isn't going to hit that, but we've come a long way. Mm. And so this piece of policy, the TNA was integral in advocating for, helping to craft, and then since its beginning, every two years, given our legislative process here in Texas, every two years you have to go to bat for it again. Here we are in 2019, and we're still getting money, we're still expanding, we're still doing what we need to do, and are we trying to tweak it? Absolutely. That's a commitment to continuous improvement. We'd like to you know, change this threshold level and do those sorts of things. But the goal is we've still achieved that ultimate goal, increasing capacity, increasing the numbers of highly educated nurses in the workforce here in the state of Texas. Right. And like we said, we want to keep it going. And part of that is eliminating those, th- those thresholds this time around. Um, do you know if there's a a a bill or, or what's in the pipeline for this legislative session to make sure that we continue on the track that we're on? Is it a certain bill or is it something that just gets passed within funding? How does that process work? You mentioned every two years it, it needs to be re-upped. Yeah, um, that's the nature of the, the public policy in the state of Texas is every two years is reauthorization for funding. And so there is not a bill that substantively changes the Nursing Shortage Reduction Fund as it was passed uh, years ago. But rather what we're looking at is every two years, how much money they're going to put into it and whether there are any what's basically technical changes, such as we want to change from a fixed percentage to a more flexible uh, number that individual schools can um, expand their programs on an annual basis. So you have to be, once you get your bill, um, as a public policy advocate, once you have a bill, you have to keep your eye on it Mm. basically for forever because somebody could come back in and change it. Right. So it is, it is work that is never done. Okay, so this this time while we're looking to maintain, we need to maintain. <laughs> we want to maintain and we want to enhance. <laughs> enhance, enhance. <laughs> yes, ma'am. All right, so uh, if for some reason we were, there, there were, there, let's say a bill came and, and kind of bypassed what it is that the, the Nursing Shorter Reduction Program uh, does for uh, the profession, what would it look like if we didn't have advancements within this i know we talked about it a little bit at the beginning like what would it look like if there was no nursing shortage reduction program or if we weren't able to now eliminate this threshold that we're trying to advance this time around well i think um something to think about is that if you don't have attention on a routine basis to what's happening happening in your legislature changes do happen and this is why the continuous monitoring of bills such as this which are important to us as a profession is so very important and um, tna does that very well if we didn't have this bill then what would happen if for some reason because of a lack of attention the nursing shortage reduction bill went away completely, then schools would not be able to expand. Schools would have to stop doing what they're doing. 
to cut back to levels that they had before. And that is not in the public's best interest. It's not in the profession's best interest. But when you're talking about policy, I think you always have to go back to really what is it there for. And the policy statements are not for the benefit of a profession first. They're for the benefit of the public first. Uh, what is good for the public is also very good for the profession. And that is that it supports funding the education of health providers such as registered nurses, making sure that schools can do that, making sure that individuals who are in the profession can advance their education. So what would happen if it went away? We'd retrench. And that's not in the public's best interest, which is why we keep this as a public policy issue, not a nursing policy issue, a public policy issue. And this is as we started from the beginning, a data-driven process. So it is critical that we continue to collect the data, use the data, understand the data, such that we can say it is in the public's best interest that we continue to fund this at the state for its purpose to support its um, taxpayers. This is what they need to do. So I, it would be a very disappointing day, a very, very disappointing day for the state, for its citizens who need nursing care to be healthy, for our communities that need nurses in order to have a healthy community, we, we, it would be a very sad day mm. if we didn't have this bill. Yeah, it's a reminder too, I mean, in as much as uh, the Texas Nurses Association advocates for the profession, right? I mean, inadvertently, of course, as we go back to the core, we're naturally advocating on behalf of the patients as well. Because if we didn't have the reduction program, just to your point, who would suffer? Ultimately, our patients. Indeed, um, indeed. Um, I wanna, I wanna go ahead and 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 wrap up here. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell us? Let's say if you were speaking to a legislator right on this point that this was the hot button issue, you were testifying to them. Is there anything you'd like to mention, maybe like a strong talking point that anybody who may one day find themselves two, four years from now uh, speaking with their representative um, to help re-up this, that they could kind of give them to, to really push it forward? Well, first, let me say, I hope that all of your listeners would take it upon themselves to speak to their legislators in this regard. Yeah. I mean, you can do it by email, uh, it's, it's quick, it's easy to do, and it's important because your local legislators listen to you. And as health professionals, as registered nurses, we want them, uh, the legislators, to know that the health of Texas, the health of their individual community, their county, depends on nurses. And therefore, it's simple math. We have, we have a demand, a need for more nurses than we have. The ability to meet that need depends on an adequate, adequate capacity in our schools of nursing. If we are to have adequate capacity in our schools of nursing, we need to fund the universities and the colleges to do that. So if you want a healthy community, you need to support this bill to ensure that we have an adequate supply of nurses in the state of Texas. So when that legislator, his or her 
mother, father, sister, brother, child themselves needs care, they're going to have access to registered nurses when they need it. That's the message I'd like them to take. Dr. Mancini, thank you for your time. That's, that's really, that's really, I'll leave it right there. Dr. Mancini, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. All right. If you'd like to learn more about this policy issue, again, the Nursing Shortage Reduction Program, please visit the Texas Nurses Association's website at texasnurses.org or follow on Twitter at Texas Nurses Association or at TX Nurses Legend. Thank you all again. Thank you, Dr. Mancini. And until next time, my name is Shala Oyewuo. Thank you for listening to TNA's Policy Podcast, sharing knowledge, empowering nurses.